in the second week of a series, but before we get there, we got to get something else started. Uh, we had something drop at two in the morning, Saturday morning. Uh, I got a, uh, a Facebook message from Maurice and Erica White in Africa, and I wanted you guys to know that in, uh, in November, we challenged you as an eldership and as a staff, and basically as a church, we just challenged ourselves to just say, hey, let's write some better stories. Let's start some new things. And so I got these uh, pictures. Uh, Two in the morning, and it's uh, first picture was this, and I was like, "All right, what is that? What what's going on here?" And then the next picture is this, and I'm like, "Whoa, what what's going on?" And then the last picture was this, and and the story was that I told you, and they told us when they came that they had a group of people that were meeting under a tree, and by the time that we got the funds and they got back. To build a building, they had over 100 people meeting under this tree. In fact, the ground is just, just matted away. And so you guys raised just a, just a couple thousand bucks, all right? And you built this church right here. Go back to that last one. You built this, and then you put a pastor in, and this is actually some of the notes of the first message that was actually taught there, that first slide. And so you guys, better stories. So cool. This is going to be one of the first Sundays that they get to meet in that building, and they've already actually met because it's early. So yeah, you, yeah, that's God, that's God stuff right there. That's so cool, you guys. Those connections that are being made, you may never go to Kenya, you may never know that it happens over there, you may never realize all the people that are impacted, but that's the way that God works. He absolutely works in the places that you do not see, that you do not realize when you surrender and you allow yourself to be used in a bigger story. God does amazing, amazing things. So from the bottom of my heart, Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And we'll get to continue the story. They're going to send a video, and we'll get to hear from them just a little bit more. I'm stoked that this is just the start of that story. So, awesome. If I can, real quick, let's just pray for them. Can we do that together? Just bow your heads, and let's just pray for Maurice and Erica White and their ministry over in Kenya. Lord, we just lift Erica and Maurice White up to you and their ministry and the impact that the gospel, God, that Jesus is going forth into a group of people that have never heard, never had a sustaining community over there of people that are pursuing you, that are offering full life, that are believing that you are Lord and trusting you. Lord, go before the work, bring clarity. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit that they may see and fully know you are God and they may spread it even more. Lord, thank you for writing new stories and letting us be a part. It's your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Like I said, we're in a series, Let's Get It Started. That song is just so it clicks in your head so you can't stop singing it for the rest of the day, and then maybe you might even remember a little bit about what we talked about. All right, so it's just a little memory tool. All right, and my dance moves might unlearn everything that we talked about, but that's all right. Last week we talked about discipleship, but I want to remind you we're in a four-week thing, and this is the four things we're going to be traveling through. The next five years as a church, we're trying to get healthy in four categories. So if you're new to Kingsway or if you've never been here before or you just came to see a cute baby... All right, that's cool. You're going to get the whole next five-year plan, all right, in just a couple seconds here. All right, and this is it. We're just trying to make healthy disciples, we're trying to have healthy relationships, we're trying to be healthy with our finances, we're trying to be healthy if we, if we have kids that we're parenting. We're trying to just get healthier in these areas. And as you saw by the number of parents up here, all right, and the number of kids are going to be running around in about 30 minutes. <laughs> Uh, we got a number of that. So this is all we're doing. We're just talking a lot. Let's get this started, all right? And the start of the year is normally when all of us try to eat keto or spend less or eat less pizza or whatever. So we're just saying, hey, what if we just started this five-year goal by just trying to get healthy 
and some of these categories. So this last week we talked about discipleship, and we talked about redefining light. That's what discipleship is. It's taking what once was seen as trash, shining the light of the gospel, which is Jesus on that trash, and realizing there is value in the things that sometimes are undervalued and in every single person. And so he talked about that's what discipleship is, is pouring into the people, pouring into the things, and revealing the truth, that it's the redefining light of the gospel. So this week we're going to talk about relationships. Now pause before I go any further, because the moment I say relationships, most of you in here are like, well, I'm either married, or I'd like to be dating, or is that all the relationships we're going to talk about? <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, and in fact, let's just start with this real quick. If you are single and you would like to not be single, go ahead and raise your hand. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Come on now, this could be the time right here. This is the connection opportunity. Let's put it out there. Some of y'all were brave. I'm proud of you. You were quickly like, I'm in. I'm in. I'm proud of you. With just one simple word, and that is love. If, we, uh, if you realize we missed a few weeks ago because we had a, a fake ice apocalypse, that's all we get is like a quarter inch of snow or like two inches of ice, all right? And so a couple weeks ago we missed, and I made a short video that Jed and I made in here that he accidentally put on his profile, and then we had to try to figure out how to get the church profile, so some of you may have missed it, but that's all right. But in there, I basically talked about this one concept, that love is really a defining factor for a lot of ways that we operate. And I wanted to read a section of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to you, and I want to, I want to reinstate what I said then. And if you missed it, it's okay, because I'm going to catch you up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is talking to a church that needs a better definition of what love is. It needs a better definition of what relationship should look like and what that love should look like. And so he basically says this, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. Now what's so neat about that little section is that it gives us a clear definition of what love is. Love is the operating system that you and I are supposed to live under. And that was kind of my little takeaway from that little devotional. Love is our operating system. Uh, and what I mean by that is whenever you come up against a decision, you're not exactly sure what to do. Whenever you're trying to figure out how to parent, how to handle your finances, whenever you're trying to figure out your relationships, if you're even trying to disciple someone, love is at the center of everything you're trying to do. It is absolutely the operating system. And if you're not a computer person, that's okay, I can catch you up. The operating system was what makes all the part in the computer work. It's what brings all the, the brains and everything, all the guts together and makes it actually something that you can see and it translates and it works. Unless it's Microsoft. No, I'm just kidding. That was a, that was a jab. I only have people that know of computers left. That's all right. But it's the operating system. But what's silly about the word love is English. Uh, does anybody know how silly English is? Anybody ever tried to teach English? Anybody tried to teach themselves some English? English is one of the worst languages when it comes to having multiple definitions of one word. Um, for example, the word love is probably one of the most frustrating words ever because I can say I love cheeseburger and I love my son and both make complete sense. Or I can say... I'm excited, and I can, I'm looking forward to the day, and I love the Super Bowl, all right? With the same emphasis of I love, and I'm so excited, and I can't wait for the day, and I will love to see Jesus again. And it's like, oh, 
Now, that word love instantly becomes such a frustrating word. So if it's our operating system, but then it's a frustrating word, that can lead to some confusion. That can lead to some frustration. In fact, that can lead to what my wife and I sometimes go down is just different perspectives on the same word, same thought, all right? You're just two different people looking at something from two different angles, declaring it's the same thing. Have you ever looked at something like a, a key, right? What's a key look like? Like, if I point it like this, what's the key look like? Some of you in here, it's like it's a dot. Some of you over here, like it's a line. Some of you, though, when you change the perspectives, I use it like a diamond. You twist a diamond, it makes it sparkle. You see a different glow. You see a different insight. You see a different thing. Love has fullness like that. And English makes it incredibly complicated. So what I want to try to do is I want to try to help you understand why this operating system is so incredibly paramount to our relationships. Not necessarily just our dating and our marriages, and not necessarily just our families not necessarily just our friendships, but every relationship we choose to have. Every relationship we choose to have. So the next few minutes, I just want to give you some definitions and understandings of what love is. Because our definition right now of love, when I look it up on the internet, is this. An intense feeling of deep affection. That's the number one. There was 12 definitions when I typed it in. 12. I started writing them all down, and I was like, no, I'm not doing it. You can go look it up if you want. There are tons. So what does the Bible use then? What does God's word use as a definition of love? If if it's the operating system and this is some sort of clue into who God is and what this love is supposed to be all about, what does it say? How does it even include it? And I'm not even telling you right now, you need to believe the Bible. It might just be a curious thing for you to know. What does the Bible say about what love is? So we're going to look at four aspects. There's up to eight. I even saw some that said ten. But I want to look at the four main ones, especially that are unrolled or or laid out in the New Testament. Now, I want to say this before I start. Y'all need to look at me when I say this. I am dyslexic. English is not a strong language. It's my first. I did not take Greek in college. But listen. Listen. I love to learn. And I did my best, and I've done my best to learn. But I need you all out there to not just trust me sometimes. I need you to do your own research, all right? But I want you to be learners like that, all right? Can we have a conversation over the next few minutes while I try to talk about some Greek and English at the same time? But I think it's going to give you some fullness if you listen. That's, by the way, my prayer every night with my kids. I say, we're going to listen, laugh, and love well. And in the end, we'll learn something. That's what I say to my boys every night. They don't listen to it yet, but someday they will. (laughs) Here's the four things we're going to talk about, the four little definitions of Greek. Eros is the first word that is used as love. It's a concept at the time of of the biblical New Testament. Uh, The second one is, uh, I believe it's... I can't say it. It's, a, it's an A. That's an A. All right, just don't look at it like an E. It's got a little line above it, which I couldn't figure out how to do on Word. It's phileo, all right? Phileo, all right? Friendship. And then the last one is agape. See, that's agape, agape, story, story. Yeah, I got the one. I couldn't get the other. It's all right. One for two. Now, here's the cool thing. You can start to see how our English word works into these four, can't you? 
Yeah, you can see this. Now, these are all positive. None of these are negative yet. Don't, don't get into the negative connotations yet. These are all positive. This is literally like a, a romantic marriage that has gone really, really well. There is an eros love at the center of it, just this passion, excitement, and new things. It's really cool. Um, it has a negative connotation. It's where we get the word exotica and pornea. And it's when that word is taken beyond what it's meant to do. And so it does have a negative connotation, but we're just talking about positives. Storage, this, or storage, I can't say it. I'm just going to storage. Uh, <laughs> just going to say it. We're just going to say it together. All right, we're learning. I preface this too much. All right, this is that family love. Now, how many of y'all know that this can be good, but then Thanksgiving comes? <laughs> and then Christmas is right after it, and you haven't even gotten peace yet. And you got to see them again. Right? Or how many of y'all got a 17-year-old? It's a lot quieter. They're sitting next to you. It's okay. Just tap them. Say, we'll get through this. This is a bond type of love, though. This is not meant to be like Thanksgiving or a 17-year-old. This is the mama looking at her brand new baby. Right? This is that bond type of love, that intense love that they look and go, you are mine. Yeah, like this is mama bear love, all right? Intense bond. Phileo, this is actually where the city of Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love. That's where the roots of this is, all right? It's friendship. This is that Forrest Gump, uh, you know, Bubba, all right? You're my best friend. This is that friendship that you know goes beyond geographical, economic, Status. This goes beyond what you could say. I have two or three friends that when I call and talk to them, even now that I say, you know, you're one of the three, one of the four that you call and you need me. I'm on a plane. Like, put it on the credit card, maybe even text Katrina on the way to the airport, and she's okay with it type of person. If something has gone on, you're my, you're my crew. This is that style of love, and it's incredibly powerful, that kind of love. And then the last one, which I, I fooled around with trying to figure out how to really explain this in a small way, because this is God-sized love, basically. All right? Agape is godly love, but it's, it's like God-sized love. It's like only God gets this description. N- nobody is like, oh, you got agape love in you. No, 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 no. This is God's love for you and for others. So, if love is our operating system, you see how each of us may have some areas that we may need to learn some new steps and procedures, some new ways to operate in our relationships. You're going to see how this all ties together at the end. I want to blow these up for you just by using one or two verses to explain these eros in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, it's not specifically mentioned. Eros itself is never mentioned as a direct connotation. It has um, a Greek god at the back side of it. That's why it kind of has this, this. This Greek god that had the name Eros was actually this romantic love god that granted power to those that came into her kind of passion. And so it had a negative connotation in that way, but it also had a great definition because it was very literal and very real at the time. But Paul is writing to a group of people that know that too well in Corinth. 
And so he's trying to help them recognize that that type of love is not the best love. The ultimate love. The only love. See how they thought it was the operating system, and they took it and they raised it to the best. The only They took it and they put it on top and they said, this must be, I mean, if it's this good and it feels this good and it is held in this high, it must be the best kind of love. And so Paul writes this to them that are longing to experience this kind of love, longing to have it more because they have put it on a pedestal. Put it on a pedestal is something to be... To be seen. Now that the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. How many 16-year-olds in here are like, amen? This is the truth. Now here's the connotation to this, and you've got to recognize this. He is not saying that getting married in every context is better than not being married. He is saying this. In this connotation, in this context, you guys are getting this relationship out of priority. You're making this relationship, this sexual side, beyond what it's meant to hold, what it's meant to be. You're putting it in the same category as the ultimate divine love. And it's hurting you. It's breaking things. It's not going to hold. It's not going to work. And it'd be better for you to not pursue that if you could resist, because it has such an ingrained, broken definition. It's not a good operating system. It's not healthy. But he says, if you can't resist, at least put it in the context that it was designed to be. If, if it is something that is pulling you, it was designed with a purpose and intentionality And it was designed to be amazing and special and purpose-filled in the right context. In the right context. Go to the second one. Storage. I'm going to get it right one of these times. Matthew 23. Jesus is looking at the city of Jerusalem And there's these moments in the New Testament where, I mean, it'd be like watching the prodigal son walk away from him. If you've never heard the prodigal son, it's this story of a boy that wishes his father dead so he could have his inheritance. The father grants him his wish, and then the son leaves and goes to this far-off land. And it seems like every time Jesus gets around the city of Jerusalem, it's like looking at his prodigal son. He's looking at this, this group of people, this family of his that has walked away. And his heart is just broken because he knows that they just need to come home. He knows that they just need to come back to daddy, to Abba. But they haven't yet. And so we have this recording in Matthew of Jesus saying these very words. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you are not Willing. Like a mother whose baby is torn away, his heart is breaking. It's that bond, love. This is the context of this word 
that you and I feel on a regular basis when those that you know should be here are not here. And those that have moved on are those that are not as it should be. And our heart breaks for it. This is our operating system. That our hearts should be soft, compassionate, and long for unity. Togetherness. That bond to be fulfilled. Reborn. Made again. Phileo. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. This is Paul again trying to describe how we are supposed to use this operating system. And he uses a great section of scriptures, and he uses this awesome little section of words in 12 to, to describe this phileo style of love. And this is what he says in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. This is a really fancy way of drawing out the phileo style meaning by saying we be devoted to one another. This phileo word that is buried inside of this context to this little mini scripture is right here. Be devoted to one another. Have each other's back before one another. Want the best for the other person. Be at their service. Be willing to be on their team. And then it says, honor one another above yourselves. And that is a theme that you would hear over and over again and over again. In fact, if you want a little challenge, go and find all the verses that Jesus says just, hey, treat others better than yourselves. Put others above yourself. See how many you can find. Let me know. Love to know. It's not going to be a small amount. Promise. Look what John 13, or 15, 15 says. Jesus himself uses the connotation of phileo. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I've learned from the Father, I have made known to you. That is a phileo style of relationship. You are with me. I am with you. We are not just bonded by family, chosen, but actually desired and longed for to be in relationship with, like a friend. That's a deeper understanding than just, yeah, 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 you can get into heaven, I guess. Yeah, come on in, sure, whatever. I got plenty of love. Yes, we can hang out. No, this is phileo, brotherly love. Now to the cream of the crop, agape. You notice that I'm going to use John here a lot. I just used John 15, 15. I'm going to go back to 15, 13 because John literally loves love. If you read the Gospel of John or 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he can't stop talking about love. And almost all the connotations that John likes to say are around agape, but a few are around the others. But here's what John, just a few verses before Jesus calls us friends, he literally uses the word agape in verse 13 of chapter 15. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friend. 
There is no greater love, no agape, better than this, than to give everything for someone else. To give everything you have for someone else. That's agape. And then in Ephesians, Paul does such a, or I'm sorry, John 3.16. I got ahead of myself. John 3.16, John records one of the greatest verses ever recorded, and I cannot, I cannot, the connotation of the Greek. God so loved this, I know I've explained this before, but this is such a powerful understanding of why John 3.16 still continues to be one of the most popular verses. It, it, it has the power to display the love of God in a way that few do. This word so it has the connotation that it can only be, it's only its depth and its greatness and its largeness can be defined by the word that precedes it. That's the way the English works here. So I've been read, so I've been told many times. So for God, so loved. So loved can only be fully seen in the magnitude of it by the word that precedes it. So the, what's the word that precedes so loved? God. It's a God-sized love. It's an agape-sized love. It's not a small eros phileo storage love. It's agape. It's massive that he would give his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not die, waste away, be in pain, be cast out, forgotten, have no friends, but have eternal life, connected, desired, befriended, the agape love. And if you're not getting the point, let me just tell you this. All of these forms of love find their fullness and health when connected to agape. All of these definitions, it is meant to flow together. It's meant to paint a picture for you. That when you read romantic love, marital sexual love, you are like, oh, but it only works in the connotation. It only has its fullness when you put agape at the proper spot. It flows from it. It works. It does its job. Being a family, having family bonds only works. The God they love to give it its full potential. It's the only way that it sees its full potential. It is not meant to be the fullness of love. Phileo, as good as it is, as amazing as friendship could be, it is still not the fullness of what agape love can be. And if we place it above where it's intended, it loses and breaks. Because no man can replace Jesus. No woman can replace Jesus. No marriage, no family, no friend. That's agape. John says it this way 
in 4.8, and he's hoping that you'll catch it because this is agape. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is agape. Whoever does not agape, whoever does not agape, give up everything, recognizing it will cost you, then they don't know God. They may have experienced some forms of love that are good, but they have not known the agape of God. That is the fullness of his love. Ephesians, Paul says this, and I love it. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, trying to gently coax and, and help us learn this as a new church would in Ephesus. He's using these gentle words to describe what John did in such a brief way. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of agape, just as Christ agaped us and gave himself up for us as fragrant offerings and sacrifices to God. He's saying, don't miss it. Yes, love is the operating system, but if you think that a romantic relationship will be the fullness of love, you are missing the point. If you think your family, as awesome and unified as it can be, is the full family of God and the fullness that God desires for you, you are missing it. And if you think a friend can replace Jesus, you're missing the love of God. I looked forever for the best definition of, of agape. I looked so long, you guys. It was so hard to find. And then I found some random site. You ever just stumble onto something and you're like, that's it. That's it. And then I lost the page. But I wrote it down. So I can't give credit, but I have to tell you that. This is not my definition. But it's amazing. It's so good. Here it is. The steady intention of will to another's highest good. Now, you put the cross on that and tell me that doesn't just ring true. Weeping for his family that is broken. Desiring friends that would just be true to him. That would just, just don't betray me. Never have experienced romantic side of love and realizing that it's not the fullness that the Father offers. But yet walking to a cross and having to constantly reframe his will that love will conquer, that love is big enough, that love will make things right, and it will have the greatest good for all the world who would choose to believe. What if we change this into our goal of pouring agape into our relationships? What if we made our wills steady in intention? What if our marriages became to be described by agape love? What if the way we even dated began to be described like this? What if our families no longer were defined by bitterness or brokenness or unforgiveness or gossip, but they started to be defined by somebody who said, at the steady will, I want what's best, no matter the cost. I'm willing. I'm willing to be a steady person that holds 
my feet and the feet of our family to the will of the love of God? What if our friendships, our discipleship, what if it started to be defined by this? It's people that didn't get distracted by the things that made them happy or what felt good in the moment or what was easy or what made them uncomfortable, but started to go, no, I will press into the moments that are challenging or frustrating, not just because friendship is worth it, but because God's love is full. And it's even better than that. I started to write down a bunch of like takeaways for this. And after about writing four, I just started to go, I don't want to give you a, a cop-out for this sermon by telling you a few things you could do and then just going, I, I know most of you in here have something that you realize very quickly. You're probably like, gosh, I need to agape this. I need to stop putting the weight of these types of love and confining my expression of what God is calling me to do by these categories. I need to start choosing to reflect this example. So I don't want to give you a cop-out, but if you're struggling in your chair not to find something, if you have something right now, do that thing. But if you're struggling to find one, one, break up or get some boundaries. It ain't worth it. The love you're pursuing is going to cause more heartache, more pain, to your own soul and the person you're with. Break up or get some boundaries. Put agape first. Have enough care for the person you're dating to say, my will is steady and your highest good is in my heart and I will love you no other way. I will love you no other way. Forgive or ask for forgiveness. That's agape. Do it if you need to. Reach out. Be available to someone new. Reach out or be available to someone new. You can do this. In fact, I know this. There's a few new people in this room right now, and you may have made eye contact with them and then gently looked at the floor and pretended like you didn't see them. Yeah, I'm not going over there. They're new. I'm just going to look at this ceiling tile that's out of place from the youth again. <laughs> you can do it. It's not because friendship's worth it. It's because agape has taught you it's worth it. Serve or give for nothing in return. Find a place to give and serve where you get nothing in return. No accolades, no pats on the back, no data boys. Just try it, because that's the closest to agape you'll ever get. I want to read for you Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, because this is Paul's attempt to wrap up agape for you. You need to hear it. If you tune back out, tune back in, and just listen to Paul, whose words have lasted 2,000 years, whether you think they're worthy of being the Lord of your life, determiner of all the things you do, at least give it a little bit of credit. It's lasted this long. It's probably a little special. For those of us that have choose to surrender and submit to this, listen to what Paul says about agape. 
Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his agape, any comfort from in any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same agape. Being one in seed, rather in humility, value, there's another one, others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, in relationships with one another, what's this title of the sermon called again? In relationships with one another, have the same mindset, same love, the same will as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be oh, to his advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, his will to the end, steady. Even to death on a cross, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue acknowledge that agape, agape, Christ Jesus, to the glory of the Father. This is our operating system. In our relationships. Love. Agape. Pray with me.